I want to thank uh, Brother Glenn for his scripture reading this morning. Uh, I asked him specifically to read that passage because even though it's not part of the book of Ephesians, which we've been walking through for quite some time now, it really just kind of sums up Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. It really kind of sums up what he's talking about, about how we leave our past self behind and how we focus on the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to continue to unpack here this morning, is we're looking at how we find our identity in Christ once we make that commitment, once we give our lives to Christ, that we no longer see ourselves the way that we see ourselves, and we no longer see ourselves the way the world sees us, but we see ourselves through the lens of God and the way that God sees us. Now we're going to pick it up some scripture here this morning, and we're, and we're talking about a really cool concept, but I want to ask you guys a question. Do you know what it's like to go to bed at night, to sleep through the whole night, and to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to go in the morning show of hands? <laughs> Me neither. Not, not at least for the last four years since Lucas was born anyway. But what we're going to be talking about today is this idea of waking up. So my question for you here this morning is, are you awake? And some of you are saying, sort of, because I'm here and I'm sitting upright and my eyes are open. But are we truly awake? Now, I'm just going to be honest, I am not a morning person. More power to those of you who are. Those of you that jump out of bed in the morning and you make your bed and you hit the ground running and you say, it's going to be a great day, let's go. That is an admirable quality, to say the least. I'm not that guy. I've never been that guy. I probably never will be that guy. I'm just not a morning person. I would much rather just lay in bed, take it slow, kind of like a freight train, right? It takes a little while to build up the steam, right? But what we're going to be talking about today is our need to be awake. Where are my coffee drinkers at? Anybody coffee drinkers? Is this you? You have the big, giant cup of coffee, right, that you kind of have to jump into and swim your way out. Now, this is me, too. I'm not so much a coffee drinker, but i got to have my caffeine in the morning. My caffeine is necessary for me to be awake and to be energized and to tackle my day and do the things that I know that I need to do. And again, I know some of you can relate to this. I, I love the, the, the ladies' cup that says, one cup of coffee a day. And it's like this giant 64-ounce, you know, mug. And maybe that's you and that's okay. But, but what we're going to be looking at today is just like how we need to wake up and tackle our day, whether it be school or work or raising children or whatever the case may be, we're talking about how we as Christians need to wake up each and every day. See, here's our big idea for today. We must be awake and alert in order to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to God. See, we tend to fall asleep at the wheel, so to speak. We, we tend to get lulled into this false sense of security that we have, and it's not a good thing. See, we, we, we tend to just kind of want to stay in bed in the morning, right? And pretend that everything else isn't continuing to happen around us. But let's just be honest. There's a lot of things happening around us each 
and every day. And if we're not awake and we're not paying attention, then those things can kind of creep in to our lives. And that's exactly what Paul is reminding us of in our piece of scripture for today, is this need that we have to wake up and to be alert and to be on guard and to be living our lives for Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 5, the first section of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, starting in verse 1, says, Follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children. Now, I love the way he frames this section of Scripture, because remember, when this was written, they didn't have book, chapter, and verse, so to speak. Right? This was a letter that would have read pretty much like a letter that you might write. It's going to be just kind of one long letter. But what Paul does so well is his transitions, when he transitions from one thought to the next. And he says, follow God's example. Now, we know that we can't live up to the example of God, and we can't live up to the example of Christ. But what a great reminder that that's what we should strive to do. We should strive to live up to that example each and every day. It says, as dearly loved children. See, we're ta- we've been talking about, as we work through the book of Ephesians, we've been talking about our identity in Christ. Well, there's your identity in Christ. You are a dearly loved child of God. And notice that that's plural. And we'll get back to that in just a moment, but the reason I underlined that for you is he's using a plural sense. Let's look at verse 2. It says, And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, when we walk in a way that honors Christ, when we walk in a way that we're striving for the example of Christ, it's like a fragrant offering, which is just another way of saying it's pleasing to God. But notice again the two underlined, us. Us. He's still talking this concept. Us. Verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because those are improper for God's holy people. Now, this verse probably sounds a little bit familiar to you because if you've been paying attention as we go through Ephesians, he's mentioned some of these things over and over and over again. And what do I always tell you? If he mentions it two or three times, it's probably going to be on the test, right? Paul's reminding us of these things because he knows we need the reminders. Do you have things in your life that you need reminders about? If you're like me, you've become addicted to your Google Calendar, right? Everything goes on the calendar. But we need to be reminded of things, right? Because even though we know them, we still need to be reminded of them. And maybe you have a reminder that, you know, Wednesday is trash day. Or maybe you have a reminder uh, that your child has soccer practice on Thursdays, or whatever the case may be. You know that, but you need to be reminded of that. And see, that's exactly what Paul's doing. We know that we're supposed to avoid these things, but he's giving us that reminder and that push. Hey, don't forget. Because remember, what are we talking about? He's talking about the Gentiles giving up their old lives. And see, much like the Gentiles, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we have to give up that old life, and we have to strive to be like Jesus. And that's the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. But see, it's not about me. See, I underlined some words for you in those first three verses that we unpacked this morning, and that was us, children, people. 
right? Those are all plural words because remember, we're not meant to do this alone. And one of the other big themes throughout the book of Ephesians has been the idea of unity. See, God knew that this life was going to be tough. See, God knew that we were going to face struggles and we were going to face hardships. And because of that, we were not designed to be alone. We know from the very beginning of the creation story, Adam was not designed to be alone. God looked at Adam and said, that's not good. This guy shouldn't be by himself. He needs a helper. He needs a support system. He needs someone to hold him accountable. Fast forward to the church. Same thing. We need people who can love us, who can support us, and who can hold us accountable. And that's why we have each other. But don't miss the plural language throughout the book of Ephesians. It reminds us that you're not in it alone. You're not in it alone. It's not about me. It's about us. And as Paul's reminding us of these things, he's consciously using this plural language that reminds us that we're in this together and we're here to help each other out. Let's jump ahead to verse 4. It says, Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Again, multiple times throughout the book of Ephesians, what do we hear? He's warning us about our talk. He's warning us about the words that we choose. He's warning us about the things that we say. Now, you've all heard the old saying, right? If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? And that's, in a nutshell, what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, your speech should be about thanksgiving. Now, we're not just talking about the big meal that we get to have in November or the great football games that we get to watch because, you know, the Cowboys are always on on Thanksgiving. We're talking about the idea is where our focus should be and where our focus shouldn't be. Now, if you were with us last week, right, we had two columns, right, on the screen. And it was the the things we needed to take off and the things that we needed to put on. And Paul is continuing that theme by saying, look, these are the things you shouldn't be speaking, and the thing you should be speaking is thanksgiving. Because, see, when you focus on Christ, when you find your identity in Christ then you should always be thankful for what he has done for you. And that frames the reference, right, of everything else that you do. See, it's kind of like a window. Think about a window in your home. If you stand back from that window, right, what do you see? You, you just see a little, little square, right? Maybe you can see the tree outside or your car. But what happens when you get up real close to that window and you press your face against the glass? You can see so much more. When you have that lens of thanksgiving and when you lean into that lens of thanksgiving, it frames everything else that you do. As we talked about last week, then the spirit moves within you and makes you want to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says, for this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Again, he's saying you can't do these things. You can't be who you used to be if you want to achieve the kingdom of heaven. And he uses very strong language. And he talks about this idea of idolatry. And we talk about this a lot because it's so prevalent in our society 
And, and sometimes when we think of idolatry, we think of like statues, right? Back in, in this time, it would have been the, the golden calf, or it may have been some other type of idol that people worshiped to, that people prayed to. But idolatry is any time you let anything take the priority over your relationship with Jesus Christ. Anything. Work, hobbies, sports, money. Those are all idols. And yes, you may not physically bow down and worship those idols, but when you put those things in front of Jesus Christ, you're saying that's more important. And when you do that, it becomes an idol. And that's what he's reminding them of. Don't let these things become idols to you. Instead, make it about Jesus Christ. Focus on the end. Focus on the prize, which is an eternity in heaven. See, this is that idea of the window, right? We don't want to be on the outside looking in. Now, I like this picture because it looks like it's snowing, and this, this guy probably looks pretty cold and pretty miserable. And he looks like he really wants to get inside, right? We don't want this to be us for eternity. We don't want to be on the outside looking in. And that's exactly what that last verse says. Is if you let those things, if you let those idols take over your life, you're not going to have the inheritance. You're going to be this guy who's on the outside who desperately wants to be in. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Back in the biblical times, a lot of times we saw the way that Satan worked in people's lives. And he showed up in, in different ways sometimes. Sometimes it was, it was, it was in a possession, and, and sometimes he showed up physically or whatever the case may be. And, and some people say, we don't really see that these days. But what we do see is he uses people. He uses people to deceive you. He uses people to say things like, you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't know enough. And he uses people to put doubts into your mind. He plants those seeds that you're just not good enough. And see, what that is, is that is Satan planting those seeds. And yes, it may be he's using people, or he's using some other vessel. Maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's pornography, whatever the case may be. He's using those vessels to plant those seeds that take root in our lives and that cause us to not see our identity. See, we can be deceived. We can be deceived. We see it throughout the scriptures, right? That people were deceived. And we can be deceived. So how do we avoid being deceived? We spend time in the word. We know the teachings that God wants us to know. We spend time in prayer. We spend time with each other so that we're not going to be deceived. See, we've got this pluralistic language going on throughout this passage. And we've got to work together so that we can't be deceived. Verse 7 says, Therefore, do not be partners with them. 
For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of light. I love the, the use of light and darkness. And I love that, that Paul's reminding us that we need to not only live in the light, but we need to be the light. And I think, although cliche, I think the lighthouse is the perfect example of that. Think about some of the darkest places you've ever been. Now, I know for me, when I was a kid, when I was in school, way back when Fred and Barney were my next-door neighbors, we went on a, a field trip down to Kentucky. I lived in Illinois, went down to Kentucky, and we went to the caves, went to, to the caves. And, and we took a tour of this cave. And, and you know, we're, we're walking with a tour guide, and, and they have lights kind of strung down through this cave and through the tunnels. And we got to, this, to, to the very bottom, and we were in this big, giant room, larger than this auditorium. And he says, okay, I want you to stand still. And they turned off the lights. That was the darkest place I have ever been. There was literally not a hint, not an ounce of light. It was the epitome of the absence of light. Now I want you to think about a time when you, when you were in, in such a place whether physically, mentally, or spiritually, when you were in that place with no light, and how did that make you feel? It's a weird feeling. It's a scary feeling. Why do you think people don't like the dark? Children hate the dark, right? Part of that's because they have really good imaginations, right? But even think about yourself. Do you want to be in the dark, or would you rather be in the light? Because, see, that's the reference that we see throughout the Bible. And, see, this is why the Bible is so powerful, because of the visuals that it gives us. This idea of being in the light versus being in the darkness. See, he's, he reminds us, you were once in darkness, right? Back before they knew who Jesus was. And now you are in the light, and you got to live as children of the light. So basically he's saying, look, you don't have to be in that darkness anymore. Because Jesus is the light, right? He's the light of the world. Live in that. Live up to that and be the light. See, it's all about your identity. When you start to see yourself the way that Jesus does, you want to live into that identity. We talked about costumes last week, and we talked about dressing in a certain manner. Well, he's taking that one step further and saying, look, you got to live in the light, and you got to be the light. I often have people, people ask me questions such as, how do, I, how do I play out, how do I portray my faith in Jesus in places that I can't just openly portray Jesus. This comes up a lot with the students in our youth ministry, right? Like, how do, I, how do I do that? How do I be the light? How do I be the light for Jesus? Do I have to, like, stand up on the lunchroom table and preach a lesson? Of course not. But see, any time that we behave in a manner 
that portrays Jesus Christ to others were being the light. And we do that at school, and we do that at work, and we do that in our teams. But how? See, it's any time that you don't conform to what everybody else is doing, you're setting an example for Jesus. The example I always use with our kids in our youth group is, is you know, maybe you go to the lunchroom at school. And they often, I often will ask them, I'll say, hey, do you pray for your lunch at school? No, 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 no. I don't want to be made fun of. People will look at me. People will point at me. But what if you just silently bowed your head and took a minute to give thanks for your food? You're being a light. When you stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves, you're being a light. When you're at work and the conversation goes south and they're talking about things that you shouldn't be talking about, what do you do? Do you just join right in and chuckle along? Or do you say, hey, no, 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 we shouldn't be talking about that. Or, hey, I don't want to be a part of this. And you get up and you walk away. See, there are ways to be the light, and there are ways to show Jesus to others that doesn't involve standing on a street corner with a megaphone and a sign. Now, if that's something you want to do, more power to you. But there are ways to be the light of the world. There are ways to show Jesus to others that can be done in every time and every place. But we have to look for it, and we have to want to do it. Skip ahead to verse 9. It says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. There you go. What does it look like to be the light of the world? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Again, how do we find out what pleases the Lord? We have to spend time in the Scripture. If we don't spend time in the Scripture, how can we possibly know what God wants from us? Does anybody buy furniture from Ikea? Only me. <laughs> I'm the poor one that has to buy his furniture from Ikea. If you've ever bought furniture from Ikea or someplace similar to that, what happens is, is, is you get this box, and this box is just full of parts, and it's full of weird-looking fasteners and weird-looking screws that don't match any screwdriver that you have in your house. And, and, and you get these instructions. <laughs> and... and if you've ever seen these instructions, they're not very good, okay? Lots of times they're pictures with no words or words with no pictures, and it's really hard to kind of make hide nor hair of these directions. But I can't imagine trying to assemble that furniture without it. Now, I could probably get it done. I've got power tools. I could get it done sooner or later. But how could I possibly expect to know how to put this thing together correctly without the instructions? But yet we want to go through life and be Christians without the instructions. Now, I've often heard it said, and I don't love this phrase, that the Bible stands for uh, basic instructions before leaving earth. I have some issues with that because the Bible isn't super basic, and I don't know that it's instructions. But I like the ideology behind that, that if we don't read it, if we don't study it, if we don't understand it, how can we possibly be pleasing to God? Think about that. How can we possibly be pleasing to God, like it says in verse 10, if we don't spend the time to do it? Think about the job that you're at 
whatever you do for a living, whether it's an accountant or a doctor or a lawyer, whatever the case may be, you didn't just one day wake up and go, I think I'm going to be an accountant. And went and knocked on somebody's door and said, hi, I'd like to be your accountant. And they said, oh, cool, go ahead. You did some training, right? You did some instruction. You thought about it. I mean, you went to school. You took classes. You learned from somebody who knows more about it than you. See, that's exactly how we do it as Christians, as we pray about it, and we put time into it, and we read about it, and we talk to people who know more about it than we do. But if we don't do that, how can we possibly hope to accomplish verse 10? Verse 11 says, has nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. So this is that idea of darkness, right? When we're doing something that we're not supposed to be doing, we go and hide. We go and do it behind a closed door because we think, I'm good. Nobody's going to know about it. God knows. See, God knows because we can't hide from him because he's all-knowing. We can't hide from God. We may think we can. We may think when we turn off the light or we shut the door or we clear our internet browser that we've hidden from God, but it doesn't work that way. And we've got to avoid those things. It says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Now see, I love this idea of, of, of exposure. And we talk about this sometimes. We talk about this idea of having an accountability partner right in your life. And if you don't have one, I recommend you get one. And what that is, is it's simply somebody that's going to shine a light on things in your life when you need it. It's simply somebody who's going to hold you accountable. It's simply somebody who's going to help you walk closer to Jesus Christ. We talked a couple, a couple weeks ago about that, right? Speaking truth in what? Speaking truth in love. And see, that's what this idea of accountability is all about. Whether it's a spouse or a friend or a mentor or whoever it may be, we need somebody that shines that light in the darkness. We need somebody that we can have those conversations with and say, Ray, this is what I'm struggling with and I need your help. And Ray's going to come alongside me in love and say, I got you. I got you. We're going to work on this together. Because you know what? We're all sinners. We all fall short. But we don't have to do it alone. Verse 14 says this, why is it said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. See, this whole book of Ephesians has kind of led up to this statement. And that's that we have to wake up. My grandfather was a Church of Christ preacher for as long as I can remember, and and I remember I used to go with him. He used to, they used to kind of do a circuit where I grew up, and the, the preachers would all kind of rotate uh, between these four little churches. And each Sunday, uh, Grandpa would be at a different church, and I'd often, I'd often go with him. And sometimes, if he was kind of losing his audience, or he didn't feel like they were paying attention, or if he started to hear some snoring in the crowd, what he would do was, right down here, let me give you a visual, where these cans are was the communion table. And many of you grew up in churches, right, where the communion table was right down in the front of the church. And what my grandpa would do is he'd, 
he'd simply pick up a songbook or a Bible, and he'd walk over casually and just drop that sucker down on that table. And this was an old wooden table. And man, when that thing hit, it was loud. And the snoring stopped. My point is, are we just going through the motions? Do we need to wake up? Do we need to wake up to the things that are going on around us? Do we need to wake up to the things that are going on in this world that have just started to become commonplace for us? There are so many things that are happening in this world today that just absolutely disgust me. And I hope it does you too. But every once in a while, we have to be reminded that we have to wake up and smell that giant cup of coffee and say, look, these things are not okay. These things that I've been doing in my life are not okay. It's time for me to wake up, stop pretending that these things aren't happening, and get back on track. See, we got to be awake. We got to be alert. We got to be in the light of Jesus Christ, and then we've got to go out and be that light. We got to wake up. Now, maybe this morning, maybe maybe you've been maybe you've been a Christian your whole life, but maybe you've started to kind of fall asleep at the wheel. Maybe you've just been going through the motions. Checking the boxes, like I like to say. Yep, went to church. Yep, prayed for my food. But you haven't been awake to the things that are going on around you. And you haven't been awake to some of the things in your own lives. In just a minute, you're going to have a chance to make that right. But I want to share one last scripture with you. I'm going to ask you to flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5. It says, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Again, the lens, we do not belong to Satan. It says, so then, let no one be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and let us be sober. Maybe you've fallen asleep at the wheel. This morning, you have an opportunity to make that right. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song called, I Will Never Be the Same Again. And I want you to think as we sing this song, and I want you to listen to the words of this song, because this song is exactly what they were saying to the Gentiles. It's, you don't have to be the same anymore. Brothers and sisters, you have that opportunity this morning as well. You have that opportunity this morning to say, look, I need to wake up. Because I don't want to be who I've been. And there's no reason for you to walk out that door without making your life right with Jesus Christ. In just a moment, Brandon's going to sing that song, I'll Never Be the Same Again. And if we can talk to you, if we can pray with you, maybe you've never had a chance to be baptized, to truly just put that old life away and focus on the new identity that you have in Jesus. I want to invite you to come forward along with our elders as we stand together and as we sing that song.
Thank you for reminding us that if we're going to live a significantly different life, we're going to have to spend more time in the Word each day, and I'm sure we'd all agree, right? That's Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, the reminders that we've received through your Word, uh, Father, to, uh, be, to reach, be recharged so that we can go out this week and be the light of the world that you would have us to be. Father, we pray for every member of this congregation. We just pray your blessings and your protections on each of us for those who are in uh, need physically, who are in need health-wise, who are in need spiritually, that, Father, that you would provide uh, those needs. Father, we pray you dismiss us in peace. It's in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat>